from Luke chapter 2. Let's do this together. I don't do it all that often, this much of the Christmas story, but it's wonderful. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, And gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. A small boy was writing a letter to God about the Christmas presents that he so badly wanted. He wrote, I've been good for six months now. But after reflecting for a moment, he crossed out six months and he wrote three. And then there was another pause and that was crossed out and he put two weeks in there. And then there was another pause and that one was crossed out too. After a few seconds of thinking, the little boy got up from the table and he went over to the little nativity scene that had figures of Mary and Joseph and the manger and the shepherds and everybody else there. And he picked up the figure of Mary and went back to his writing and started again. Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again... (laughs) Here's the point of that little story. Christmas causes a complex range of emotions. Have you ever noticed that? And Christmas arrives every year at the same time, regardless of our emotional state. It arrives at the same time for the child who's been anticipating Christmas with every new ornament that is added to the tree, as it does for the person whose awful year of broken health causes her to wince with every Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays greeting that seems to insist that we all have to be happy and merry at this time of year. And for some, it just drives them down. This morning, as we continue our Christmas Interruption series, I would like to to tackle with you um, an exploration of the range of Christmas emotions that were a part of the first Christmas narratives that we encounter in the Gospels. Here's the idea that I want to get across. It's very simple. 
When God, when God interrupts, he will move you deeply, but he will not only move you deeply, he will take you deeper into his redemptive plan. He will move you deeply, and he will take you deeper into his redemptive work. Let's look at the emotions of these Christmas interruptions. All month we've been looking at people whom God has interrupted with this grand announcement. Uh, the first thing we discover is that the shepherds were terrified. Uh, verses 8 and 9 of Luke 2 read this way, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The last four words of verse 9 are very insightful. And they were terrified. I don't think the Christmas card images that we see every year ever truly portray this. They weren't just afraid, they were terrified. So it's important that we stop to notice that Luke includes this emotion as part of the story. Again, it is not every day that angels appear in the sky and speak to human beings. Yet this emotion is not due simply to the appearance of angel. Luke adds another phrase that's very descriptive. He says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. I've never had that happen. I doubt that you've ever had that happen in your life. Every so often the Bible records people experiencing this glory of the Lord phenomenon. Think of Moses at the burning bush when he's told to take off his sandals for this is holy ground. Think of Elijah hidden in the cleft of a rock on the, on the cliffside as the glory of the Lord passed by him and he was allowed to see the shadow of the form of the Lord passing by. Or Moses again as he came down from Mount Sinai after meeting with God and, and receiving the Ten Commandments and the Bible tells us that his face was shining so brightly that the people were intimidated and they asked him to put on a veil every time that he talked with God. Too much. The glory of God was too much. It was still shining in his face. Or we encounter Peter, James, and John seeing Jesus in brilliant white at this event called the Configuration that happens during Jesus' public ministry. It is popular in contemporary writing or in our movies to envision God as simply one of us that we'd hardly notice. But this part of the Christmas narrative depicts a very different image. And it is fitting that this pivotal moment in redemptive history would be marked by a kind of terrifying appearance of the glory of God. It is as if God was saying to these shepherds, don't underestimate this moment in time. You are experiencing something phenomenal because something even greater than this shining glory out in the fields has happened. And I want to mark this. I want to sear this in your memory. I want to compel you into action because everything has changed as a result of the news that I'm delivering to you. See, when God interrupts, he will move you deeply. But he doesn't simply want to move us emotionally or inspirationally. He wants to take us deeper and deeper into his continuing redemptive story in the world. Here's the second emotion we discover. The angels brought a spirit of joy. So we move from the shepherds being terrified to this announcement of joy. Verse 10 says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy 
for all the people. If you've got a pen out and you're taking notes, underline those words, great joy. This is not just a little bit of joy. This is a tremendous amount of joy. This is not some kind of average Christmas card kind of joy. This is great joy that extends to all of the people through all of the time, not just on that day, but through our day and on into the future. That's great joy. Why? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, there was no mention of joy. She was told that she had found favor with God, that God was with her. She was told about the role that her son would play as son of the Most High, but there's no mention of the word joy. But now... The terrified shepherds, to the terrified shepherds, the angel in the sky spoke of this great joy for all the people. Yet this was a joy not instantly felt by these shepherds. Yet as the heavenly host left and the interruption in the sky was over, the message remained and began to sink in. This joy was for everyone and it had been announced to them first. Great joy that would start there in the fields of Bethlehem with these humble, unnamed shepherds. And it would travel the world. So they would have to investigate in order to experience it. They would have to see for themselves. This leads me to a question that I was thinking as I was mulling over this passage earlier this week. Why joy? And I think there are some answers to that question. Why, why is joy inserted into this scene that's dominated by a terrifying fear? The people of Israel had been waiting so long for the promised Messiah that the promise was nearly forgotten. People didn't wake up in the town of Bethlehem every day saying, maybe today's the day that the Messiah is going to come, right here in our village. That was a foreign thought to all of them on that day. The average person was not focused or experiencing something like this. And then the announcement came. Today, in the town of David, your town, a Savior has been born. And then something more. Not just a Savior, but the Messiah, the Lord. Two terms put together, Christ the Lord, the chosen one of God. Yesterday... I held my younger brother's newest grandson. And I noticed something that's common for us. Most babies bring smiles to our faces. This one did as he's bouncing around, chubby little guy. This one would bring joy. Beyond mere happiness, joy transcends darkness. Joy transcends silence. So what was the angel trying to say with this message of joy to the shepherds? that the joy that would come from Jesus is something that satisfies within. It brings the knowledge that something has forever been changed. It's far beyond the realm of happiness. That the news that God has brought his son into the world as our savior, our, our Messiah, has the capability of bringing a profound joy that can exist and even override the tremendous sadness and brokenness of our world. That's why it was inserted in here. It's an important concept, and it's the second emotion that we see. And then there's a third. 
we read that the shepherds were curious. Verse 15 says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So this third emotional status, if you will, is this profound curiosity that then developed. The news was compelling. They had to go. They had to see. Did someone stay behind to take care of the sheep, I wonder? Or did they just let the sheep go whichever way they would as they all went down to Bethlehem? In that moment, having heard the angel's announcement and the heavenly host, they lost sense of everything else. They had sensed the glory of God shining around them. And they had to dive deeper into the story. They had to see for themselves. Put yourself into the story for a moment. Having heard and seen all of what they had just experienced in the skies, what would you do? And how would you do it? Would you just kind of walk calmly from the pastures down to the town with an average walk that you take every day? Or would you run? Or would you maybe skip all the way down with your feet barely touching the ground? What would your heart be like? Would your heart be racing as you peered around the corner to all of a sudden where you see this little stable attached to a house and wonder, is this the stable? Is this where we'll find the child? Would you be straining ahead of your friends to see if you could be the first one to get a glimpse of who this savior child really is? I think this would become a foot race to see who would meet the stable first. Who would beat everybody else there? Terrified fear mixed with growing joy in the hearts of curious shepherds. Here's a fourth. After they see the child, what do the shepherds do? They go through the streets of Bethlehem telling their neighbors. And we read that the neighbors were amazed. Verse 16 says, So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Luke doesn't tell us much about what happened when the shepherds got to the, to the stable. He doesn't tell us if they got to hold the baby or if Mary was protective in that moment. Smelly old shepherds smell like the sheep. I don't know if I would do that. He doesn't tell us whether or not they bowed down and worshipped like the Magi did. They didn't have time to go get gifts. But he does tell us that their first reaction as they left the manger scene was they went through the streets telling everyone and shouting praises. So the shepherds spread the word and their Bethlehem neighbors were amazed. Matthew reports in his gospel that when the Magi appeared before Herod, the scholars told them where this child would be born and it, was, it would be in Bethlehem. The passage that they quoted was from the little book of Micah, one of the minor prophets. Minor doesn't mean insignificant. It means they, they wrote less than the major prophets of these big, long books. And in Micah 5.2, there's this statement that the scholars were able to recite to King Herod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Isn't that an interesting statement? Somebody will come from you whose origins will be from old, from ancient times. So what Micah was prophesying hundreds of years before Jesus is when the Messiah would come, he wouldn't be somebody who was only of that age, but his origins would be from ancient times. Wow, fits together with some of the other things we learn about Jesus. Surely the rabbi knew where Bethlehem was mentioned in the scrolls, the, the rabbi from that town. But now the people of Bethlehem, Bethlehem were hearing these shepherds calling out this news that the Messiah had been born here in Bethlehem. He's here, right here in, in our little stable, in our little manger, in our little town. And that angels had interrupted this sleepy village with news for all the world. Little Bethlehem, which had already surprisingly given King David to the world, had now given birth to an even more awaited child, Jesus the Messiah. Their little town was the first in all the world to know, the first town to experience even this rough, simple Christmas celebration. And they were amazed. And then we come to Mary. And Mary was filled with wonder. So there's this amazing statement in verse 19 that says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Notice how these emotions move from terrified to joy to curiosity to amazement. And now we are told that Mary was filled with a sense of wonder, treasuring them and pondering them in her heart. She had borne most of the news of what God was doing quietly until now. She and Joseph had arrived in Bethlehem with nowhere to stay but a stable, no one expecting them, no one throwing out the welcome mat. An angel had given her news of God's favor. The same angel had appeared to Joseph in a dream, and now shepherds show up shortly after the birth of Jesus, telling them about a great company of angels that filled the sky, announcing to these shepherds that Jesus had been born. I would imagine if she's taking all of this in, she's saying, oh my goodness, angels again. Not just to me, not just to Joseph. Angels want the world to know. I thought we were going to protect Jesus and kind of keep this quiet until he grew to be older. But the news is out. And so she's filled with wonder. What a marvelous emotion wonder is. The dictionary tells us that wonder is the emotion that is excited by what is strange and surprising, sometimes tinged with admiration. Doesn't that kind of describe everything you would be thinking if you were there next to Mary? Strange, surprising, tinged with admiration. And finally, the scene erupts with praise. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the shepherds returned to their normal life. They returned to the fields. They returned to the flocks. And as they did, they were glorifying and praising God for what they had seen and heard. What does this mean to us? Well, the tradition of singing about choirs of angels and joy to the world 
was not something that took hundreds of years to develop over time. It started that very night. All the specific songs that we sing were written hundreds of years later. But the subject matter, the content, the source was the very same on that night. God interrupted the lives of these unnamed shepherd, shepherds, moved them, from, moved them very deeply and gave them a role in his redemptive story. The songs that we sing at Christmas may be merely tradition for some people, but the moment you open your heart to the reality that God marked the birth of Jesus with supernatural announcements, because the one who saves us from our sins, God in the flesh, has been born, God interrupts your life with a life-changing revelation, and then he puts you on the announcement team. And the revelation is this, that God dwells with us in the person of Jesus Christ. That the Savior who breaks the power of sin in our lives has come. That the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and Jesus is now one of us, and Jesus now is in us, residing in us, indwelling us even through his Holy Spirit. For every true Christ follower, that is a reality. That you have been brought from darkness into light. That God's wondrous plan includes you. It's not just about an event in the history. It's about who we are and how we live today and what our hopes are for tomorrow. That putting your faith in Jesus changes your destiny. And that God has a role for you to play in his redemptive plan for the world. When God interrupts, he will move you deeply and take you deeper into his redemptive story. And that is our message. That we don't just celebrate things that happened somewhere in the past. We are still involved in the ongoing redemptive story of God because he is still reaching people through the same announcement that happened that day. And you and I are key to that announcement going forward and penetrating the hearts of even more people who are on this planet in the time that we live here. Our God interrupts. And as he does so, he moves you deeply and then takes you deeper into his story. Question. Will you allow the news of Jesus' birth to move you from fear and curiosity to amazement, joy, wonder, and praise? And if you do, you will not be able to stifle it, to hold it down, to keep it in, you're going to be asking him, God, what's my role as the story continues to play out? And he will use you greatly in the midst of our troubled and broken world. That's what he's doing today. God, as we move from the wonder of Jesus' birth and now into celebrating communion together. We thank you for the wonders of the gospel. That here on the same day, we can connect the two halves of the gospel as you powerfully communicate to us your love. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I got an email earlier this week, and uh, my good friend Teresa Ware talked about uh, a month ago when we shared communion last, and I had made a note that was kind of an off-the-cuff thing as I was reading the scripture from 1 Corinthians about uh, the Lord's Supper. 
and uh, noting that Jesus says, this is for you. And Teresa wrote to me and she said, as we were going through the service, I began to write a poem. And it's about communion and about that thought. This is called For You. Teresa, my friend, will you come read to us? Jesus said, this bread, which is my body, is broken for you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood that is shed for you. For you he came. The God of the universe came down to earth. None other could he be than the ones that shepherds came to see. The one who came to set you free from sin and shame and every binding chain. To, do, to deliver us in order that we may live an abundant life, no matter what the price. For you, he came to transform that which the world dictates. You no longer have to conform to the world's point of view. Jesus came to make you new. To remember, to be in fellowship, in union, that's why we take communion. For you, he died on a cross, on a hill between two thieves. He hung there for you, that you may be, that you may have peace. No one took his life, no one defeated him. He has all might in all strife and made things right. He laid his life down, free to do so on his own. He had the authority, no one could take away this priority. To remember his death gives us the opportunity to come together in community. For you, he lives. Yes, he's alive for all time, and his resurrection is one of a kind. There is no one who could make such a claim. No one else is known for such a thing. He was seen of many, therefore it must be true. He's alive and well, and this is huge. The testimonies were written for us to receive so that we may believe, to remember faithfully that he lives to commune with us for all eternity. For you he came, for you he died, for you he lives. So we practice what we call an open communion here. That means you do not need to be a member of this church. But the one expectation that the New Testament writers had was that you have faith in Christ. And if you do, we invite you to participate. Uh, what we're going to do is pass out the, the bread. Um, it's gluten-free, if you're wondering. And uh, then the cup. We'll hold each one, and we'll take them together.
Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. When we eat this, we acknowledge the truth is embedded in Christmas, that he has come in the flesh. Let's remember him this way. way and for not only coming in the flesh but for giving your very body that we might live. We thank you.
on that night with his disciples, Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And then a day later, he said something else that tied it all together. It is finished, paid in full. Let's drink this together. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us on this day to celebrate the wholeness of Jesus' life and ministry and mission and ongoing work in this world. Thank you for allowing us to celebrate together. We pray that you would use this for good. We pray for your blessing in the coming celebrations tonight and tomorrow and on Christmas Day as we gather with families. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. Jesus changes everything. And we are grateful in his name. Amen. I'm going to invite our ushers to come and we'll receive our offering for this morning. Thank you for coming out this morning. I hope that you have a wonderful Christmas, whether you're staying here or you're traveling. Thanks for being a part of our family. And uh, we've got one final song.